0: Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. And I'll read verses 26 and 27 for us now as we prepare to hear from lead pastor Travis Simone as he helps us continue in our series titled Restored Community. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings.
1: We started our series entitled Restored Community uh, with this claim, that restored lives build Restored communities. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. All those weeks ago, when we started the series, we, we highlighted that Paul says, Bodies, plural, present your bodies. Plural, the whole church presenting their bodies. But the living sacrifice is singular. That God takes the bodies, plural, and turns them into one living sacrifice for his honor and glory in the church. And we noted that the problem with having a living sacrifice is that it tends to want to crawl off the altar. So Paul takes the next four chapters to detail all that must be released if we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, release thinking too highly of yourself. Release valuing certain gifts in the body of Christ over others. Release the need to avenge wrongs done against us. Release some of your cherished freedom and be subject to the governing authorities. Release desires to gratify the flesh with drunkenness, sexual immorality, quarreling, jealousy. Release our propensity to judge believers more carefree than us or our tendency to look down on believers more careful than us. Release the idea that the restored community exists to please me rather than to fill the earth with the glory of God. You see, building a restored community requires great release. And in our passage today, we'll see that it requires the release of our resources Look at verses 22 through 26 on your song sheets with me. Verse 22 of Romans 15. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. The poor among the saints at Jerusalem. See, in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, we learn that there is a famine that comes over the whole region of Judea. And the church, especially the poor in the church in Jerusalem, but a lot of scholars believe it was the entire church that was poor in Jerusalem, they are susceptible to starvation in the midst of this famine. The light of this church is on the verge of going out. And so, in Acts eleven twenty nine, you read these words. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. We read in our passage that Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make some contribution to the poor, to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. If you take these two passages together, you learn that everyone, all of the disciples that learned about this, no one left out and they were all pleased to do it, to make these sacrificial contributions. And my question is, how could this be? You rarely find a church where everyone gives or where everyone who gives is pleased To make the gift. You see, the early church knew that hoarding their resources so they could live more comfortably is no way to build a restored community. Where did they get such a radical idea? Where did they get an idea that's so counter to our human nature to stock up and, and store up? Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. Paul also talking about this collection he's making for the church in Jerusalem. He says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, Jesus Christ released his resources to bring about the restoration of all who believe. Therefore, those who believe release their resources to build up the restored community. We had a little party here on Thursday night. It was called the chapel block party. Um, My mouth kept uh, dropping to the floor every time Rich stopped by my office to tell me about the registrations. Um, I was meeting with someone. I think I told him it was 600 because I, I couldn't imagine a number greater than that. But I thought Rich may have had said 700, but I went with 600. And then Rich stopped by after the meeting and said it was up to 800. Oh. <laughs> I said, Rich, this is when we're supposed to make the big church feel small. Uh, and he said, people are just hungry for community. They're hungry to experience just a taste of what life in the restored community looks like. So my team, we're meeting this afternoon and we're gonna figure it out. Rich loves that phrase. We're gonna figure it out, Rich will always say. And we rented more more chairs and made sure we we had enough tables. And our family ministry team figured it out. And on Thursday night, it was like time kind of stood still for a few hours. I honestly felt like I was just experiencing the joy of relationship in the restored community, walking around, greeting people, sitting with people from my small group, just laughing, watching our kids play. I looked over and uh, one of the police officers that was giving tours of, of his police car He had started playing nine square in the air with a bunch of elementary and middle school kids, which is this game, it's like some sort of cross between, I don't know, four square and volleyball. And yeah, there, all right, I'm getting a a thumbs up. And this police officer just looked like he was having the time of his life. People kept coming up to me and saying, um, where do we pay for this? And I told everyone, I said, it's already been paid for. Just enjoy life in the restored community. This is why we take time in every worship service to give as an act of worship. See, when we give, we make a stunning countercultural declaration. We make the declaration that I long for restored community to come on earth as it has already come in heaven more than I long to eat out, more than I long to drive a better car, more than I long to renovate my kitchen. I long for the restored community to come on earth as it has already come in heaven more than I long to maintain my peak lifestyle in retirement or avoid the anxiety-producing uncertainty around future educational expenses. I wrote that one for me. (laughs) So my question for all of us this morning, if you're currently giving to God's work in the local church to build up the restored community, Does your giving to build up the restored community reflect the one who gave his life to restore your life? Does it reflect his gift to you? If you're not giving currently to what God is doing in the church, maybe ask this question. What must be released in order for me to begin releasing my resources? What do I have to let go of? Because to build the restored community requires a release, a great release. It not only requires us to release our resources, it requires us to release our superiority, to release our sense of superiority over others. You see, while the releasing of resources witnesses the power and the value of the restored community, there's actually a much deeper purpose for Paul's collection than alleviating poverty in Jerusalem. Remember the passage that Dale preached on last week from Acts chapter 15, verses 20 and 22. Paul writes, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Paul says, I've been out preaching the gospel where no one has ever heard Jesus' name. This is why I haven't been able to make it yet to the church in Rome. And he says, I wanna make it to the church in Rome on my way to Spain to announce the gospel in that place where Christ has not yet been named. So then look at verse 25 and see how odd verse 25 must be. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem the center of the church, the center of the gospel movement, the center of where people are already following Jesus. Paul says, I wanna go where Jesus hasn't been named, but actually I'm gonna head back to Jerusalem. If you're worshiping with us online, you can see a map of this. Paul is writing from Corinth, which is in modern day Greece. Jerusalem is a thousand miles to the east He's going a 1,000 miles in the opposite direction. Why not delegate this task? The key to understanding this is in the word Paul uses for contribution in verse 26. Our English word contribution masks the depth of what Paul's trying to accomplish with this collection. The Greek word there is the word koinoneon. Koinoneon. It's a derivative of the famous Greek word koinonia, which means to establish fellowship. Paul is taking this collection not just to alleviate poverty, but to establish fellowship between Gentile followers of Jesus and Jewish followers of Jesus. You see, Paul knew from his experience across the Roman world, especially in Galatia, that the church was in danger of splitting along ethnic lines. That there was about to be a church where Gentile believers went to church and another church where Jewish believers in Jesus went to church. And Paul is convinced that two churches means no churches. Paul is convinced that a divided church is not The church, you see this all the way through his letter to the Romans. It's actually how he starts off when he declares the gospel for the first time to those in Romans. In Romans 1.16, where he states his thesis for the entire letter, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then he's clear first for the Jew, and then also for the Greek. The gospel is equally for everyone, Paul says. He's so concerned, he says, I've got to take this collection there myself. Look at verse 28, another interesting phrase in the original language. He says, when this is complete and I have delivered to them what has been collected... If you have a paper Bible open and you're reading from the ESV translation, I love the ESV has great footnotes. It'll give you the literal rendering of this phrase. Paul writes literally, when I have sealed to them this fruit. You see, in the ancient world, seals were used to authenticate things to authenticate the document. That's how you knew who it was from. It had an authentic seal on it. Paul believes this collection is so important. He must authenticate it because he suspects that the church in Jerusalem might not actually believe it came from Gentiles. Why would they do that? The collection is a way for Gentile believers to humbly acknowledge their dependence on Jewish believers and the spiritual blessings, the gospel beforehand that came to Abraham. And it's for the Jewish believers to humbly, to humbly acknowledge their dependence on the Gentile believers materially. You see, building a restored community requires us to release any sense of superiority over other believers and any sense of independence from other believers. This is why if you go to verse 31, you look at what Paul prays in verse 31, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. What Paul's saying there is, I don't know if they'll take it. When I authenticate it and say this is from Gentile believers, I'm praying that they actually take the gift. It's hard to release your superiority when you think, "Well, God has a God has had a special relationship with the sons and daughters of Abraham for millennia. Why, why are we going to depend on these Johnny Come Latelys? They won't even follow the law." Paul is concerned that one, they won't believe it's from the Gentiles, and two, if they do believe it's from the Gentiles, that they won't actually take the gift. It's stunning. Until we think about all the ways we do this today. People that have a a Calvinist bent in their theology, not wanting to go to church alongside people that have a Wesleyan bent in their theology. People that want to baptize their children as infants, not wanting to go to church with people who baptize adults or students or older children as people that can make a verbal profession of faith on their own. People not wanting to go to church with people who get baptized using lots of water, people using a little bit of water. Our previous pastor, Bill Warwick, who we talked about earlier, he would say, I have books on my shelf that would talk about how wet should you get (laughs) when you get baptized. I still see this sometimes at the chapel with our indoor and outdoor services. It's one of the good things about switching the time. I see some of the indoor worshipers outside today. My wife is usually an outside worshiper. She's coming at 11 inside today. Sometimes I hear the outside worshipers say, oh, the people inside, they're, they're, they're just wound a little bit too tight. I need the freedom of the outside service. The inside people look at the outside people and they say, oh, they're not very serious. They're out there looking at birds and sitting under trees. I'm in here worshiping the Lord. Lately, my favorite line in a worship song is from the the song, King of Kings. There's a line, I cannot sing it without crying every time. From a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. How can we harbor a sense of superiority any longer? when we worship a savior who left a throne of endless glory to be placed in a cradle in the dirt, in straw poverty, how can we harbor a sense of superiority? Building a restored community requires us to release superiority. And Paul makes one other prayer request Look at verses 30 to 32 again. He writes this. I appeal to you brothers by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers on my behalf, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea and that my service may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul prays that the offering will be accepted and he prays to be delivered from unbelievers in Judea so he can come to Rome and see this church refreshed. Well, God answers this prayer. But the story of how God answers this prayer is the story of all that must be released to build the restored community. Paul shows up in Jerusalem. You can read about this in Acts 21 to 28. He is received gladly. Prayer number one, check. They accept the offering from Paul. Prayer number two, to be delivered from unbelievers in Judea. As he's received by the church, they also let Paul know that people are quite suspicious of him. And, and there are a lot of people that think he's, he's teaching others to turn away from the law of Moses. And Moses is obviously quite revered in Jerusalem. They say, here's what you should do, Paul. You gotta go to the temple. You're gonna participate in a purification rite. And you're gonna pay for these guys to finish their vows. Right there, Paul has to release some of his perspective in order to do this. So he goes to the temple, and as he's leaving the temple, a mob recognizes him, starts shouting, this is the one who teaches people to disregard Moses. The mob surrounds him. They're about to kill him. When all of a sudden, a Roman guard says, what's what's all this commotion? Instead of them having the chance to kill him, he gets arrested. So he is delivered from the unbelievers in Jerusalem. How? How? By getting arrested, he spends two years going back and forth between different governors. Some there are some kings involved in this. There's an assassination plot on his life. He's tipped off by his nephew, his sister's son, tips him off on the assassination plot. He sends the kid under a cover of darkness to talk to the tribe, to the uh, to basically the judge over his case. The judge has him transferred to another jail. Back and forth he goes. Finally, he gets put on a ship to go to Rome. The ship crashes. It wrecks. He's sitting there in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and he says to everyone, swim for the shore. If you can't swim, grab a plank and hold on for dear life. Finally, he gets to the shore. The people on the island see. It's it's in the book of Acts. I read it this week. It's unbelievable. It says they got to shore, and it started raining. It's a detail in the story. They got to shore, it starts raining and it specifically says it's cold outside. So they build a fire and as Paul's building the fire, he drops some wood in the fire. There was a snake in the wood. It feels the heat of the fire. It jumps out, it bites Paul on the hand. He's now been arrested, beaten, assassination plot, shipwrecked, and now he got bit by a snake. The snake bite leads him to uh, the, the head of the town, who sees that because he doesn't die from the snake bite, he, he must have some sort of power at work within him. Paul heals the guy's dad. The guy's so grateful he arranges another ship for him, and when winter's over, he finally makes it to Rome safe. That's how God answered the prayer. Paul released his reputation. Paul released power. He released comfort. He released all sense of security. He released the outcome that he wanted, which was to travel as a missionary to Spain. We must release anything that leads us to imagine that building the restored community requires something less than presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice on the altar. How can we do this? Back to Romans 12, one, the way I memorized it as a kid in the NIV version. Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Spend some time viewing, spend some time looking at the mercies of God in Christ. You see, on the cross, Jesus released his whole self. He released his mind, his body, his soul. Jesus released his reputation. Jesus released his comfort as the crown of thorns was placed on his head. Jesus released his security. Jesus released any outcome other than thy will be done. And he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He released everything at the point of death, trusting that God could bring him through death and out the other side into a restored life. Jesus released his life. So surely we can release our resources Surely we can release our sense of superiority. We can release our lives and see God bring us through death, out the other side, into a restored life that's part of a restored community.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.